0: Our milk's gone to Kroger, Publix, um, Walmart, you name it, it goes there. We we sell about 18% of the milk, I think, or 16 or 18% of the milk produced in the state comes from our dairy.
1: Milk. It comes from cows. Cows live on farms. And those farms are all far away from big cities. There's no way that the middle of Atlanta has anything to do with the milk you bought at the store this weekend, right? Wrong.
2: I came from the mud,
1: desert
2: on my hands.
0: Strong like a tree, there's roots where I stand.
1: I'm David Zelski and this is the Fork in the Road podcast, presented by Georgia Grown and the fine folks at Georgia Public Broadcasting. Each episode, we feature stories from Georgia's farmers, fishermen, merchants, artisans, chefs, and others who help provide Georgia-grown products to folks in the Peach State and beyond. Today, you're headed out for a little bit of a road trip, following the milk truck. The first stop is Montezuma, Georgia. And where exactly is that? Pete, the owner of Barrington Dairies, can give us an insight.
0: Uh, Montezuma, Georgia is... uh... Pretty much the middle of nowhere, which is great for if, you're, uh, if you want to be in the dairy business.
1: I guess that wasn't helpful. <laughs> well, Montezuma, Georgia is just a little bit southwest of the middle of the state. Basically, go to Perry and take Highway 224 West for about 15 miles. The second stop on this road trip will actually be in Atlanta. And I'm not talking somewhere in the Atlanta metro area. I'm talking smack dab in the middle of town. There is a dairy processing plant just south of Buckhead, not far from Midtown, and right next to Morningside. Yep, I didn't know that either. The start of this journey is back there in quote, the middle of nowhere. It's his words, not mine. (laughs) With Pete Gelber, the owner of Barrington Dairies.
0: And I've gotten a kind of a, a different story. I'm from the Bronx in New York City, and my father wanted to keep me out of trouble as a kid. They made me go work on a dairy farm in upstate New York. I went to Cornell University and majored in animal science. And I moved to Florida with my former boss and partner in 1990. And I was made a partner in the mid-90s. And uh, I eventually bought out my other two partners. And now myself and my family, own and operate this dairy.
1: Now, did you have dairy farmer from the Bronx and educated at Cornell living in Montezuma, Georgia on your bingo card? Neither did I. Pete's experience at Cornell definitely comes into play with how Barrington Dairies operates.
0: Okay, well, uh, if you look right by us, we have all our cows have uh, Fitbits. You look at that collar around their neck and it measures uh, how many times the rumen contracts in a, in a day, and it will also uh, count how many steps the cow takes, and it will send tell us if the cow is in heat. There's an algorithm. It tells us if the cow's in heat, if she needs to be bred, and it also tells us if she's not feeling well, and it will send the herdsman in charge of each barn a text um, to tell them which cow is uh, needs attention.
1: Pete and his team are using technology to make your milk better.
0: Uh, there, there's just a, a lot of science. I think a lot of people um, uh, have a lot of skepticism uh, about science when, when it comes to their food. They, everybody uses science uh, to live longer. And we use science to drive a better car, a safer car. And I think the science in food is for the most part is, is a tremendous thing and uh, we have billions and billions of people in this world and we need to feed them and we can do it as long as we have our science to do it. Uh, for instance, right now uh, with our breeding of our herds, uh, we, can, we take DNA samples out of every calf and uh, we know which calves are gonna be uh, healthier as cows, which ones are going to produce more milk and which cows are going to get pregnant easier? So more easily, I should say. Uh, and things like this it, so without with less antibiotics and, uh, and uh, le- less um, interference, we can make more milk from a healthier cow just because we know, which cows are going to be the healthy ones to raise. The
1: cows seem pretty happy here. They seem to be enjoying themselves in this
0: environment. Why is that? So uh, I always say there's uh, three kinds of cows, three kinds of, uh, you got uh, you got the Hilton, you got the Motel 6, and then you got the cow that has to sleep under the bridge. So uh, we try to make our cows, give them the Hilton experience. And if you can see behind me, We have these cows, they can walk around and uh, they can eat whenever they want to, drink whenever they want to. And they lay in a sand bed, which is the gold standard. It's like going to the beach. You lay in the sand, you don't lay in the grass. And uh, the other thing is, is they're out of the weather. So the same people that, uh, sometimes you have these animal rights activists, the same ones that want you to keep your, your dog in the house, on a cold night or a hot night uh, want the cows to be outside in the rain and the sleet and the hot weather all the time. So we believe that we do a better job keeping our cows in and we care for them. They walk on rubber rubber mats all the way to protect their feet and uh, they reward us by producing a lot of milk. Right now this herd right here is averaging over 12 gallons a day. and. Uh, it's because they're very comfortable. One of the most important reasons uh, I enjoy my uh, job is you get to wear a lot of different hats, and uh, the science part's always fascinated me. Uh, a cow is a ruminant animal, and uh, it's uh, there's also some art, not just pure science, in feeding a cow, and. Uh, We have to take care of these cows and we have to keep them healthy. We got to keep their feet trimmed. And uh, we have, my wife's a veterinarian and we have uh, five other veterinarians on staff at all times. And uh, so we we feel that we can do uh, have expertise to take care of our cows that uh, a smaller herd doesn't have.
1: Barrington Dairies takes very good care of their cows. And they need many vets on staff because there are a lot of babies being born at the dairy.
0: Yes, we uh, we have every cow has a baby every year, so we have uh, over twelve thousand babies get born. So if you do the math, it's uh, it's a lot a day. So uh, depending on the time of year, it uh, goes from anywhere from about fifty-five to twenty-five a day. So it's uh. The guys, we have somebody taking care of the maternity ward. In fact, we have two people there, 24 hours, seven days a week. And it's uh, very important that that, that cow gets uh, special care that 24 hours before and the 24 hours after she calves. And same with the calf. The calf needs to get uh, colostrum in her, which is the mother's first milk, which is a lot of antibodies. and it. Uh, a calf that gets off to a good start ends up having a better life than a cow that gets off. To, a calf that gets off to a poor start, same as the way it is in, your, in humans. So it's uh, if you get off to a good start and go to a good school, you're probably going to be a successful person. Saying so, the calves need uh, need uh, extra extra care.
1: And you can actually meet a baby cow from Barrington Dairies at the Georgia National Fair in Perry.
0: This is correct. We our cows uh We supply the cows for the baby barn at the Georgia Fair, which is just 15 miles down the road. They asked me to do it several years ago, and we gladly help out. And being that it's a large farm, it's easy for us to get cows that are gonna calve that day because we have 30, 40 cows calving a day.
3: Very good,
1: tell me about
0: where your milk goes. Okay, so we sell our milk to a co-op called uh, Dairy Farmers of America.
1: So the milk can be, can it be sold at any grocery store? So
0: yes, we we sell, sold it, depending on where the contracts are, without co-op, our milk's gone to Kroger, Publix, um, Walmart, you name it, it goes there. We, we sell about 18% of the milk, I think, or 16 or 18% of the milk produced in the state comes from our dairy
1: that's neat for people to know you know that I don't think a lot of people when they go to Kroger when they go to public realize they're getting Georgia milk
0: right that's very 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 true and uh, and it is close and uh, it takes us right now about two and a half hours we make a load of milk and uh, I remember when I was a kid it used to take us every three days we'd uh, send the pickup truck of milk cans into to uh, get processed so uh, There's a different meaning to farm fresh now than it was uh, 50 years ago.
1: With those numbers, that baby cow you saw at the Georgia National Fair a few years ago might have made the milk you poured in your coffee this morning. That's kind of neat. Speaking of numbers, Pete mentioned each cow has a calf every year for a total of 12,000 per year. So that means they have 12,000 cows on the dairy, and those cows are producing on average 12 gallons of milk each day. That's 144,000 gallons of milk, or about 18 tanker trucks full. Remember, this is a road trip, so hop up here in the cab because we're heading to Atlanta. Stop is Centennial Farms Dairy, smack in the middle of Atlanta. We're less than four miles south of the high-end shopping in Buckhead, about six and a half miles north of Mercedes-Benz Stadium, just off Cheshire Bridge Road in Atlanta. This is where the milk from Barrington Dairies is processed. And I'm glad that Lamont is here to give us a simple explanation of what that means.
4: And basically, controlling raw milk that comes from the receiving. Send it to a pasteurizer, out to a pasteurized tank.
1: And from there, for the public to enjoy at our stores. That's perfect. So, what, what are you looking for when you're when you're going in here?
4: Coming in here to,
1: <clears throat> from what our schedule: product
4: or skim one percent homogenized milk, uh, chocolates. Coming here, we we'll program it all in this screen right here. How many of the gallons is on our schedule, and we will. Uh, input that information on the computer and basically go from here to the whatever pasteurized tank throughout the plant that we selected to go to and we'll just watch it until it's finished then we'll get a uh, final check make sure that we have our butter fats within the required range and we'll release it to the lab and from there they'll release it to the uh, uh, filler operators to put it in the bottles
1: To make sure that you and I are on the same page, let's take a quick look at the International Dairy Foods Association website. The original method of pasteurization was vat pasteurization, which heats up milk or other liquid ingredients in a large tank for at least 30 minutes. It is now used primarily in the dairy industry for preparing milk, for making starter cultures in the processing of cheese, yogurt, buttermilk, and for pasteurizing some ice cream mixes. The most common method of pasteurization in the United States today is high-temperature short-time, HTST, pasteurization, which uses metal plates and hot water to raise milk temperature to at least 161 degrees Fahrenheit for not less than 15 seconds, followed by rapid cooling. Remember back on the farm when Pete said this about science?
0: Uh, There's just uh, a lot of science. I think a lot of people... um... Uh, have a lot of skepticism uh, about science when, when it comes to their food. They, everybody uses science uh, to live longer. we use science to drive a better car, a safer car. And I think the science in food is, for the most part, is, is a tremendous thing. And uh, we have billions and billions of people in this world and we need to feed them. And we can do it as long as we have our science to do
1: it. Well, Muhammad is using some of that science in the lab at Centennial Farms.
2: This is called the somatic cell machine, where it counts like how many uh, better fat, how many cells is in the the milk. And this is where we tested it. Ms. Deborah is working on that milk right now. And you can see that. This is the lactoscope, where we check uh, the better fat of the milk and everything. And this is the Hariba, which which takes the uh, the uh, hematianites of the milk. Right here we have the microphone. This is the microphone. This is where we incubate everything. Like to see it. This is the plates that's done. This is the stress species. They'll be red tomorrow. This will be red the day after. This is gonna be red tomorrow as well. We read it, we record it, we put it on a computer.
1: So you're incubating, so what are you incubating?
2: We get a sample of the milk to make sure nothing is growing on it. And we give it a, we do this stress, which means like you stress the milk, like you keep it in a regular temperature, 45 degrees. I'm going to show you on the fridge in a little bit. We keep it up there and that basically like, that basically like shows like, if we, you regularly go to a store, grab the milk, Put it in your trunk and you drive your car around. Basically, like that's how we do it.
1: So no milk goes out until it goes through that incubator sample.
2: No milk goes out till we check everything and make sure everything is like processed good and everything is good and no bacteria, so nothing is happening.
1: Now that the milk has been processed, there's only one thing left to do: put it in the jug. Ahmed explains. So
3: we have a farm machine. Of gallons and one half gallon each one of them runs about 33 bottles a minute. So, let me show you how we process those bottles. So, yeah, one, uh, So, each bottle we make from the raisins, small raisins that come through the line. That's where they're going to get blow through the mold. Then they go to the cooling bed. Once they go to the cooling bed, they're going to come down here. They're going to go through the trimmer. So let me show you. It has the an angel wing, flag, and tail. So in the process of swimmer, we're going to take off the tail, take the angel off, and the flaps. So you can see the gallows. Also, we have leak, leak detector. It blows the air and see if there is any leak on the bottom. This is a bad bottle,
1: we're going to recycle again. Now, let me just go. It's so loud in there. But as you should have been able to hear from Ahmed, the milk jugs start out as small pieces of resin. They then go through that super loud blow molding process. They're trimmed and then filled with delicious fresh milk. Now it's onto the truck, out to the grocery store, and into your morning coffee, bowl of cereal, or Homemade milkshakes. For more stories like this one, you can watch A Fork in the Road on GPB TV or anytime on the GPB.org website. That's where you'll also be able to listen to and subscribe to this podcast or download it on your favorite podcast platform. I'm David Zelsky. Thanks for listening to A Fork in the Road.